Alright, that was the opening music to Where Eagles Dare, released in 1968 by Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, although they were the distributor, and it had a produ the production company. Well, I'll let Bob talk about that. He's usually got all that information. Um, you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on iTunes, just search for Classic Movie Reviews, or in Facebook, just search for Classic Movie Reviews, or on the internet, just uh, type in www.classicmoviereviews.net, and you'll find us. And this is episode 96. Ooh, we're getting, getting close. Yes, yes we are. And I'm Matt Johnson, recording from icy, cold, dark North Bend. That's kind of how it feels today. <laughs> wow. Uh, that's more like Halloween weather. Uh, this is Bob Johnson reporting from uh, Los Angeles, where we're having cold weather, but not, not real cold. Cold for here, though. Although I checked my hometown, and it was 13 below, so... Ooh, 13 below. <laughs> yeah, so this seemed much better. How are things with the air quality down there with the fires and whatnot? Uh, it's it's good where we are because the winds are carrying it up north and northwest. So, And I haven't got a... Re I didn't think to look this morning about a report on that big fire by Santa Barbara, but we had some rain last night here, so hopefully that helped there. Where Eagles Dare... Quite a movie, huh? Oh my god, it's so long. I didn't realize it was so long. <laughs> uh, it is, yeah. I, um, it's a, it's 155 minutes. Yeah, two hours and 38 minutes, so over two and a half hours. Whew. One of my favorite quotes about the movie is from Richard Burton, who said, and I quote, I decided to do the picture because Elizabeth's two sons said that they were fed up with me making films they weren't allowed to see or in which I got killed. They wanted me <laughs> to kill a few people instead, end of quote. So that's, <laughs> well, that, that seemed to work in this film, didn't it? My goodness. Well, you can definitely put a check mark in they killed a few people. <laughs> <laughs> and he survived. And they survived, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, um... Some background on Where Eagles Dare, or as it was known by Eastwood and Burton, Where Doubles Dare, because there were so many stuntmen used in the uh, film. <laughs> it was um, directed by Brian Hutton, and I remember Mr. Hutton from when he was an actor in television and movies, but he also did a couple of films, uh, one of which, Matt, you may have seen, High Road to China with Tom Skerritt. Uh, not Tom Skerritt, Tom Selleck in 1983. Oh, yeah. And then another one in 1970 with uh, Donald Sutherland and Clint Eastwood, Kelly's Heroes, a World War II uh, drama and battle over a lot of money, gold bullion. Um, so he did a lot of different things. Uh, the film was... Um, Produced by Windcast Film Productions and distributed by Metro Golden Mare. This was at the period where MGM was struggling financially and um, didn't do a lot of films at the time. But the ones they did tend to be tended to be these epic films, long and uh, well produced. 
So that's kind of, and it made a lot of money. Made a lot of money. And it's a fun movie to watch, I think. I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's fun. It's definitely got some great scenes. And the, uh, the music. I was, just looking at, I was just looking at Brian Hutton's uh, IMDb page, and it says that he gave up direction in the mid-'80s and became a plumber. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. <I did. laughs> from, from actor to director to plumber. You've got a leaky pipe under your house, so you call up the plumber, and Brian Hutton shows up. <laughs> wow. I, I did. Well, I... <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Well, that, that says a lot about the uh, compensation for plumbers, I guess. I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he just burned out on uh, movie making. <laughs> that, that, that may be the best trivia question. They should have that on Jeopardy. That's a, that's a good one, That'd yeah. That'd be a good one for Alex to throw out there. So uh, you were saying about the music, though. We were talking before we got started that we both agree that the best part of the movie was the music. Oh, yeah. It's very, very uh, unrelenting and perfectly matched to the action in the film. Really, really good. Um, it, made me, it made me think about something I just watched on YouTube about a week ago from this person who puts out a series called Every Frame a Painting. And he was talking about movie music and how, you know, if you go up to people on the street and you ask them to hum the music to Star Wars, they'll be able to do it. Or, you know, Harry Potter, they'll be able to do it. But if you ask them to hum the music to the Avengers, people sort of like have a blank stare. And he was talking about how music has kind of lost some of its uh, impact in movies in some ways because... When they're editing the movie, they'll have a placeholder soundtrack that's from another movie, and and it starts to they all kind of start to sound the same in some respects. And I was thinking about that as I watched this movie because the music is such a big part of of the drama and kind of gives you the cues to know what's going to be happening. Boy, is it ever! I I could still. Uh... Remember seeing the Magnificent Seven for the first time and the soundtrack for that film. Uh, I could, I think, I could hum that right now. And this is close to that. But you're right. I, I, I the movies that I've been seeing recently, I don't, uh, unless I'm forgetting someone or some movie, I, I don't remember the music that much. And I'm not saying that that's across the board, but just a, a lot of times they'll kind of play it safe with music that doesn't uh, veer too far off what people might expect, I guess. I can always tell when it's a John Williams soundtrack, though. Well, yeah, uh, both of those that I mentioned were John Williams soundtracks. His music is yeah. very distinctive. Well, our <clears throat> our film today stars uh, Richard Burton, Clint Eastwood, Mary Ayer, and Ingrid, Ingrid Pitt. And a little bit of background on each of those or three of the four, excuse my voice, uh, on Richard Burton, um, in, in uh, this same time frame, he did The Spy Who Came In From The Cold in 1965, in which he did die. Uh, and then uh, many other films. Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Have you ever seen that movie? I don't think so. Oh, man, it is. Uh, <laughs> I don't know that I could stand to watch it to review it. It's really intense. 
two married couples and they've been drinking too much and it goes it doesn't go well uh then of course clint eastwood my goodness um academy awards for the unforgiven and the million dollar baby i think my favorite clint eastwood movie although i have many is uh invictus from uh, 2010 about the south african rugby world cup in 1995 i really like that movie and then adding to our tri- trivia lore, this is not as good as, as Mr. Hutton becoming a plumber, but, um, and certainly not uplifting, but Mary Err, U-R-E, died at the age of 42 from an overdose. And oh, it, I was no. looking her up uh, on uh, the Internet. At the time, she was married to Robert Shaw, the uh, gentleman that played in Jaws. Oh, yeah. I guess she had gone through some difficult times. She plays Mary Ellison in the film. Uh, and that's kind of a summary of the of the of um, some of the cast members, at least the leading cast members uh, in a did film. We, that, did, did, we, did we mention who did the music? Ron Goodwin? Did we? <laughs> we, liked the mu- we liked the music, but we forgot to get <laughs> No, we didn't. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Goodwin. Yeah. And, and uh, he's got quite an extensive list of movies that he scored. And albums and singles that he's produced and released. Well, our film, you know, it's an Alastair McLean screenplay, and he's done many of these spy novels, put them into movie uh, screenplays. But boy, I tell you, the plot got a little bit convoluted. To try, the whole goal here was to uncover the spies that were German spies in the British military. I was pretty confused about halfway through what the heck was going on. Because <laughs> we, we got a general that supposedly has been captured, but he's not really a general, and it wasn't really that the plane had crashed. It was all a setup. Oh, my gosh. Right, right. Uh, the general, I think, was a... Uh, I think he was a corporal or a lieutenant. I can't remember which. I'm looking for his name here, and I can't find it right now. Oh, boy. Oh, here it is. Robert uh, Beatty was uh, Brigadier General George Carnaby, but in reality was Corporal Cartwright Jones. Cartwright Jones, yeah. Cartwright Jones. How can I forget? And the whole the whole plot to have him captured by the Germans and the, and the uh, Gestapo was so that then the British could fly in and uh, through this very elaborate plot uncover the uh, names of all the uh, spies that the Germans had in the British military. Holy smokes, the number of things that had to go right for this plan to work. <laughs> no, it's like Oh my gosh. 22 moving parts. And you know when I felt Rick- like I was watching a, you know like how they like to how people like to stream video games on Twitch and YouTube and stuff. And right? People will just watch people other people play video games. I kind of felt like I was watching a video game at some parts of this movie. Oh, I know. I I mean, um, and it had its share of bad guys, let me tell you. Uh, so, but uh, I forgot my thought. Oh, Richard Burton also was uh, uh, supposedly a German uh, spy. And he had friends within the German military that would verify that. But all the time he was really working for the British. He was, And he was feeding the Germans uh, old or, or inaccurate or false information, yeah. We should probably... Uh, we're not. I mean, this is a long. Oh my gosh, this is a long movie, but it starts off with them in an airplane flying over the the Austrian Alps, I think, somewhere, and 
they kind of do a flashback to how all these guys ended up on the plane and, and they give a little bit of background about the mission that they're on. And then they all jump out of the plane and I, I was like pretty drawn in right away because it was, it looked super realistic and you could tell that the plane was actually flying over the mountains and, and they were out there in the, in the Alps and it looked really cold and desolate. And so I, I love the beginning. It really drew me into the, into the movie. Um, and then there's some mystery right at the beginning because one of the guys doesn't make it. He dies, you know, during the drop. But it turns out that somebody had broken his neck after he yeah. landed. Yeah, it starts with that. And, and then Burton, you never quite, I'm never quite sure in the uh, first half of the film who he is and what he's up to and what's going on. And But I was, like you, drawn into the realism of it because that uh, German plane was actually a, a real German plane that the Swiss Air Force had. And they used oh, okay. it in the film. So it, I mean, cool. it really, it really, really added to the uh, to the tension and the realism. Plus, all the scenes seemed to be in the middle of winter, and it was cold. And I thought that was very well done. I was watching a making of because on the DVD that I got, it had a 13 minute making of kind of behind the scenes thing. And yeah, they were really up there, really at that town by that castle, filming those scenes and. Yeah, it's pretty cool how they did that. So the ho- the, the 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 troop of of British plus one American, and that's the Clint Eastwood character. And it comes to light later that Burton picked him because he knew he was a safe person to be a member of the group. He was the only one in the group that Burton <laughs> didn't suspect of being a spy, and rightfully so, as we find out in the film. It was. Yeah, it was funny because there was a good chunk of the movie where it was just the two of them kind of like trying to infiltrate the castle. And I thought, where'd the other guys go? Like, are they just not part of the movie anymore because they got captured? But now it, it made sense once we found out what what the deal was with those other soldiers. Right, they're captured. And uh, were there, th- there were three that were captured, right? Yeah, three that were captured, yeah. And it turns out that uh, without ruining too much of the drama... Um, they had their own game going on. Um, yeah, they did. They had their own thing going on. And um, there was that, the best part of the movie for me was when they were in that big kind of dining room area by the fireplace. And <laughs> I was so confused. Yes. I, I, yes. I was, I thought there, I thought there was three different plots going on all at the same time during that 10 minute scene. I kept thinking during that scene, how many times did they have to do that scene to to make it at least as clear as it uh, turned out to be? Because it it still was confusing. I didn't know who was where and who was what. Yeah, and Clint Eastwood has a great line where he says, Lieutenant, in the next 15 minutes we have to create enough confusion to get out of here alive. Major, right now you got me about as confused as I ever hoped to be. (laughs) He was super confused, too. (laughs) I guess... Uh, because of his addition to the cast, they changed some of the screenplay so they could play more to his uh, t- style of acting. And uh, that, I thought, worked well. He was really good in the movie. He, this must have been really soon after his Spaghetti Westerns. Oh, uh, I think they filmed it in 1968. So, yes, I think his last of those Westerns came out in 67, I believe. 
So he was still kind of a new, newish to the industry actor. I, I, I'm sure that a lot of people knew who he was, but he wasn't like the superstar that he became later. No, I think this was aimed at getting Richard Burton to be seen as a a megastar in an action film because, uh, you know, Gregory Peck had done those and many other people had done those. And I think he felt like I needed to do this because some of his other movies have been really uh, not overly popular. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they did okay, but they weren't real big blockbusters. Um, so these these three guys are captured and then... Uh, our heroes, Eastwood and Burton, take that cable car from the town up to that castle, and I thought that was a highlight for me in the movie, the way that was used as a part of the plot. Yeah, that was pretty cool, how they were on top of the cable car. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that's where uh, the two of them came up with the title for the movie, were Doubles Dare. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they were not It, look, it really looked like somebody thing. was on top of the cable car, like... You know, they don't have computer graphics or anything. No. They, they, and, and it didn't look like a miniature. No, it looked real to me. And, and um, I hope those uh, stunt people were paid well for that. I... One, yeah, another thing that I thought about while I was watching the movie is how well orchestrated their escape was um, and how they had really thought about how they could get out of there and make it seem like the castle was under attack by a a division instead of just a handful of people inside the castle. Yes. And I mean, I thought it was, it was kind of interesting to, to, to watch how they put all the dynamite where they did and sort of uh, how they would hide out, but kind of have a diversion to make it seem like maybe they actually had been killed, but they really hadn't. So that part was fun to watch. Plus, they had done a lot of uh, planning up front because when the escape takes place in that gigantic bus, which I found kind of an interesting bus too because they had a snowplow on the beginning, on the front of it. They had all types of uh, traps and things set along the road. Yeah, then and then the final one where they blew up that bridge, that was cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. i got to say, though, that, okay, these were like the most inept soldiers that they were fighting against they could not it was like the classic it was like stormtroopers in a star wars movie they can't hit anything with their guns you know yeah. with their shooting <laughs> and there's so many of them yeah. bumbling along and yet our heroes were like dead shots they could just you know they and they would never really be in any serious danger except i guess major smith got his hand hit by some shrapnel My, minor stuff though when you're when you're uncovering this gigantic plot with all these yeah. uh, double-dealing spies. I, I Even at that, and even at, though I'd seen it before, I enjoyed watching it. I probably watched it for the third or fourth time. Uh, it really draws me in because it's the music and the action and the scenery and the realism, and except for the soldiers who can't hit the broadside of a barn. Uh, pretty good. <laughs> There's another scene where they're trying to use the big giant radio that they've got at the castle to call back to the base. And Clint Eastwood is holding down the hallway with his machine gun fire. And then one of the soldiers, the German soldiers, throws a grenade. And Clint Eastwood just very casually like picks it up and throws it back at them like, oh, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> 
He was super cool in the movie. Nothing really shook him. <laughs> no kidding. He he never once really got uh, flummoxed. There is a there is a line in the movie, and I can't find the direct quote at the end of the movie as they fly off successful. And I think he says something to the effect that next time, let's hope it's an all-British operation, because he'd had enough of that. Well, is that it, Major? Yes, that's it, Lieutenant. Do me a favor, will you? Next time you have one of these things, keep it an all-British operation. I'll try, Lieutenant. Yeah, Clint Eastwood didn't want to go. I thought they left it open for a sequel or, like, another movie where the two of them or the three of them with Mary uh, Eric could come back and do another mission. Yes. I I wondered that myself. I I was thinking of another movie that I saw recently and I can't remember it right now, but the way it was uh, wrapped up at the end made me think they're going to do it. Oh, I know what it was. It was Murder on the Orient Express, the new one. The way that ends... You just know if if they can get the financing and keep the cast together, they're going to have a sequel that takes oh, place really? on the uh, Nile. That was the. Oh. That's the that's uh, cool. Hercule Poirot uh, mystery. Uh, yeah, there's a lot that I liked about the movie. I loved the scenery. The music was awesome. I liked Clint Eastwood and Richard Burton's character, and I and I really really liked that the two women had strong roles in the movie. Uh, and we're right in the battle fighting their way out of the castle. That was super cool. Um, I thought, man, I, there were some parts where I just thought, God, this is, is there's still an hour left of the movie? Like, what else is there to do? I couldn't believe that there would still be an hour left of the movie. They've uncovered the plot. They know who the bad guys are, but, they, you know, then it, you find out that there's even more going on than, than you realize even an hour and a half into the film. I was thinking um, the same way uh, when they're in the bus trying to get out of town and to the airport. That seemed to take a long, long time for that to take place and un- un- and uh, kind of unwrap. But uh, I, I, all, what I enjoy about these movies is kind of the backstory of what goes on in putting it together and what people are wanting. I have another quote here. Um Apparently, uh, Richard Burton approached the producer and asked him if he, and a quote, this is a quote, and asked him if he had some superhero stuff for me where I don't get killed in the end. Because <laughs> he was following up on the request from uh, his uh, children. He wanted something that was going to be uh, make him a hero, superhero. And th- this worked for... This it, it, seeing him in these other films that he's done though is really a change of pace for me. Although he had done one back in the early fifties called The Desert Rats. I've heard about that one. Yeah, and uh, he plays kind of a uh, the leader of a group of of uh, British soldiers in uh, North Africa during World War II, fighting Rommel. And but he hadn't really done a lot of these action type movies. He was more like in Cleopatra or. He did quite a few like uh, Shakespearean dramas too. Oh, he did. Yeah, the 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 hope was that he would become the next Laurence Olivier, and and uh, I, <laughs> this is an aside. I can only believe it's true because it, you, you remember Link, Link Graham. Oh yeah, huh? When he was here in Los Angeles, going to UCLA, he uh, 
he tended bar at one of these high-end places in uh, Hollywood, and one of their customers was uh, Mr. Burton, among others. But uh, Link's takeaway from Mr. Burton was he was the best tipper he had ever had. <laughs> nice. Yeah, but he did like to drink now and then. Well, it's it's funny that you say superhero because there was a few few points in the movie where I thought, boy, this could be a really cool superhero movie. Um, and and the things that they were doing were superhuman. That you know, there's no way that they would have survived. I I don't think. I mean, if any of those soldiers had just gotten one decent shot off, you know, like <laughs> yeah. But you know, when they were climbing the when they were climbing uh, the castle wall, I mean, that was pretty intense. And um, when they were uh, coming down when he when when he was coming down the cable car. Oh my goodness! And yes. he was fighting on top of the cable car. That was pretty cool. That was that was very realistic to me. I knew they had a back screen going, but it was pretty high quality stuff all the way along. My biggest my biggest thing that was just uh, I just couldn't get past it and kind of ruined. It didn't ruin the movie for me. I mean, I really liked the movie. It just took away from it was. Why did they have to take those three guys with them? Like, they already knew that they were traitors. They knew that they were double agents. They they should have just, I mean, they should have just taken care of them right in that dinner scene. But they decided to take them back as prisoners? Like, it, that that to me just made no sense. They didn't, they never gave a good reason for why they didn't take out those three spies. That's a good, that's a good point. I uh, although by keeping uh, the 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 lead guy or the head spy, <laughs> it it allowed them the opportunity for him to go out of the plane. Well, that guy, but that guy didn't show up until the plane, right at the very very end. Oh, of the that's movie. right, that's he, right. He, he was yeah, on. The plane. He was he was the ringleader. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that why was awesome. He, he 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 knew that he's had he'd been had, and there's that great uh, scene at the end when they're on the plane and the lead. Uh, spy has a gun on uh, Major Smith. Assuming for a moment you're finished, Colonel. You're overlooking something, aren't you? Not at all. Admiral Rolland took you to the plane himself, didn't he? He also made certain that you had that gun, didn't he? We took the precaution of removing the firing pin before the mission started. Put it down, Colonel. And Major Smith is like, uh, yeah, don't, you know, you're not going to be able to do anything here. You're trapped. The game is up because they already knew that he was the lead spy and they had taken the firing pin out of his gun. So... <laughs> I think the whole thing was set up so that they could have this adventure. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know, totally. I I totally. just did a little more reading, and the uh, the uh, producers, uh, Mr. Kasner and Mr. Gershwin, purchased five of the Alistair McLean scripts, starting with "Where Eagles Dare," and then another one was "When Eight Bells Toll." And I wonder if they weren't kind of thinking they might put together a franchise of these films 
and for some reason or other, it, it never. With really Richard came Burton as kind of the lead kind of character, like almost like a James Bond type thing. Maybe. Yeah. Another one. I don't know if you can look this up. I I don't know how to do this one. Um, you remember the Guns of Navarone? Uh huh. With Gregory Peck. <clears throat> yeah. I was wondering if that was an Alastair McLean screenplay too. It came out in the early sixties. Yeah, nineteen sixty-one. Yeah, Alastair McLean, a novel. Yeah, it has uh, it has some of the same thing. And there's a there's another one or two of these that I can't remember right now that have been made into movies. And I think another one was with Rock Hudson, and he's a submarine commander, and they go to the North Pole to uh, get back some recordings from a satellite. And it came out at about the same time as this film. And I think that's another one of these Alistair McLean scripts. Ice Station Zebra. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let me check that one out. The other movie that I thought about when I was watching this was The Iger Sanction. Oh. With uh, Clint Eastwood, where he's the mountain climber, and he comes out of retirement to avenge the murder of an old friend. I bet both of those, likewise, are with Alistair McLean. He really wrote a lot of... Ice Station Zebra is, but the Iger Sanction was not, so... Oh, okay. But yeah, those the Ice Station Zebra, uh, Where Eagles Dare, and then... Uh, what was the first one? G- Guns of Navarone. Guns of Navarone all do have that same kind of feel to them. And with the Ice Station Zebra, it's got some of the same convoluted plot where about halfway through it I'm thinking, what is going on here? Because it takes place in, at the North Pole, and all the good guys and bad guys are wearing almost the same kind of uniform, and it's hard to tell who's who in the, in this storm. So I, they did a lot of these <laughs> where it was cold weather. <laughs> yeah. Well, I uh, I enjoyed the film, uh, but again, it's three two and a half hours. Um, I give it a drum roll. Seven. A seven? Okay. On my rating scale. After careful research and cogitation. If that's a word. Uh, is adjutant a word? <laughs> Major Bacoda, my adjutant. There's a, there's, a, there's a scene at the beginning of the movie where the, uh, gen, the top German guy is talking to, kind of doing an introduction. He says, this is my adjutant. I've heard that military term. I don't think it's in the U.S. military, but I have heard it. Anyway, that that was me stalling to try to figure out what my uh, score would be. <laughs> Were you dazzled um, by my score, or good or no, bad? No, I, I was going to give it a six. Um, I loved, like I said, I loved the music. I loved the scenery, the cinematography. I liked a lot of the action scenes. But man, it was there were several times where I would look at the little counter to see how far I was into the movie and I'd be like, "Holy smokes, there's still an hour and a half to go." Or, "Holy, you know, what more could there be?" And then there were just some plot holes that Yes. I know they were just there so that they could have a scene later in the movie that would be some more action, you know? Like they I I guess they kept the three spies around so they could have that scene on the cable car. Uh and, yeah, you know they they wouldn't have been able to have that scene if they didn't keep those guys around. So it wouldn't have suffered at all from about forty minutes removed in editing. Yeah, and I kind of hate to say that because like it's kind of feels like Monday morning quarterbacking a little bit, but yeah, it's just more my impression of. 
how I kind of would lose interest at certain parts of the film because I would be like, "Are you kidding me? There's 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 more." I, I really shouldn't have done that. It reminds me of the of the movie Amadeus, where Mozart has made this beautiful music, and his mentor or competitor says to him, "Well, it needs to have a few less notes." A good effort. Oh well, decidedly that. An excellent effort. You have shown us something. Quite new tonight. It is new. It is, isn't it, sire? Yes, indeed. So then you liked it. You, you really liked it, sire. Well, of course I did. It's very good. Uh, of course, now and then, just 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 now and then, it it, it seemed a touch. Um... What do you mean, sire? Well, I mean, uh, occasionally it seems to have. Um... Oh, how shall one say? Um, how shall one say, director? Too many notes, Your Majesty. Exactly. Very well put. Too many notes. I don't understand. There are just as many notes, Majesty, as are required. Neither more nor less. Well, my dear fellow, there, there are in fact only so many notes the ear can hear in the course of an evening. <laughs> 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 right, like I, like I know what I'm talking about. I right, enjoyed right. it. I enjoyed the movie. I really did. I mean, it everything fit together, and 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 it would lead logically from one scene to the next. I'm not saying that it didn't make sense that way. It was just that, um, yeah, it was just really long. <laughs> you know, although I think you win the award for the best trivia when you found out in episode 96 that Brian Hutton. Moved on from actor director to plumber. <laughs> to plumber, yeah, <laughs> that's pretty great. <laughs> oh my! I goodness. don't know. Maybe he's still working, although he may be retired now. He'd be quite elderly, I think. But oh, he died in 2014. Oh well, I guess that answers that question, doesn't it? So you gave it a six, <laughs> and I gave it a seven. So not bad. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely, I would definitely watch it. I don't know that I'd watch it again, but I would definitely watch it uh, at least once. I don't know what that says so. about me that I've seen it four times. Uh, <laughs> it's one of those movies that would be good to have on in the background if you were doing something else like cleaning or like... Well, I uh, think, you know, you, know. I, you know, absolutely. I think that's what I've done. I've been doing work writing or, or report stuff. I may have had that and Ice Station Zebra and Guns and Navarone on in the background because I don't need the sound. I've seen them enough times. Right, I know right. you've seen it on. so many times, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We got the laughing that we thought maybe over the holiday we would sit and kind of have an uplifting uh, trilogy of films, God, the, the three Godfather films. Uh, or there, there was another one where we came up with, Nancy and I came up with five films about memory loss. Oh gosh! <laughs> we, thought, we we need to get out. Oh gosh! So um, we have selected our movie for the next uh, podcast ninety six after careful deliberation and many meetings, or at least one call, and that is Agatha Christie's murder on the murder at the Gallop with Miss Marple, played by Margaret Rutherford. And it's a film from the early 1960s and a really nicely done whodunit. You'll enjoy it. I've seen this one probably ten times.
<laughs> well, maybe not ten. I, I'm exaggerating. Probably only six. Okay. I, I, <laughs> well, and I, and I, yeah, that'll be a fun one to watch. I do want to do a shout out to some of the folks on Facebook that left comments on our last episode, some of the previous episodes with suggestions. Yeah, we've had a lot of them. All of them good. Yeah, and I, I'm trying to find. <laughs> I suck at Facebook. Um, but I was trying to find a couple of the suggestions that, that we had. Um, oh, here we go. So, yeah, I wanted to do a shout-out to uh, Arthur Skulko um, for all of your great suggestions. And we definitely will be doing a couple of these uh, coming up. Uh, we're still working on deciding what to do for our 100th episode. Uh, but you had some great suggestions. Uh, North by Northwest, Ben-Hur, The Green Man with Alistair Slim. So, yeah, there's a bunch. Uh, so send us send us more. <laughs> we, we love to uh, get your comments. We love to hear what you think of the episodes. Uh, that's probably one of the most fun parts about doing this is just uh, hearing back from folks. And, uh, yeah, we're going to keep going after 100. Uh, we don't really have any plans to stop, so um, there's no yeah. there's no shortage of films to review. And also, you uh, on the good news front, you indicated uh, maybe two three weeks ago that we had six thousand two hundred and some listeners, and uh, the first set the first podcast we did we had twenty four listeners, so we have <laughs> yeah. grown. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All righty. Happy holidays uh, from from me to you. Yeah, happy holidays to you too and to Nancy and everybody there. And uh, we'll try to get this one out before the holiday season is over so that uh, we can wish a happy, happy holidays to our listeners as well. All right. All right. So until next time, this is Matt Johnson coming to you from North Bend. And Bob Johnson from Los Angeles wishing all of you a happy movie-watching holiday. With trilogies of depressing movies, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> or not. That would be not a good thing, you know. Some people watch White Christmas. Some people watch Holiday Inn. We're watching the Godfather trilogy. <laughs> I don't think You're we'll right. be doing that.